And good morning, good morning, good morning. It is that time again, Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Cominius Institute-sponsored Warp and Wolf Radio, where Dr. Mark Eckel and yours truly, Harold H.B. Bell, uh, try to bring some sense and knowledge and wisdom uh, to some of the issues that we face in our community. Dr. Mark, welcome back, oh, brother. Oh, man, it was a great trip out to Denver. Hey, Mom, how you doing? I, I want you to know, H.B., that uh, I saw my mom's uh, calendar, and uh, my mom's calendar uh says on Wednesday, Mark, at 8 o'clock. <laughs> I say schedule in. Right clockwork. I love it. Yeah, she's got me right down there. So every day on Wednesday, she's listening to you and me, the twins, you know, the brothers over here from different mothers. But there it is. Had a great time in Denver. It was a lovely, lovely time. Glad to have been there. Uh, of course, glad to be back. We're going to go visit the grandkids this coming weekend. So beautiful, be beautiful. Uh, and happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all who are mm-hmm. listening right now. Um, this will be the last time you hear from us together right. um, until after the Christmas uh, uh, Day celebration. And Virginia Echo, I do want to say personally, thank you so much for the beautiful card. Uh, that just warmed my little heart up. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you personally uh, for doing that. Uh, today, Mark, we're, we're diving in, man. And, you yeah. know, the topics that you breed is almost like... Like we are twins because yeah. the concerns that we have um, in our communities, uh, the interracial uh, or the race uh, problems that we face in our sure. community, the disparity of incomes, and, of course, education, education. Uh, which <laughs> leads to a lot of those things that we just That's mentioned right. previously. Exactly. Uh, so today we're just fortunate to have uh, Ping Min Chi on the show today, mm-hmm. and uh, he is an educator that has no box oh my <laughs> when it comes to education he and some of the thoughts. He has blown up the box. There is no box. In fact, actually, we're going to be talking about no-box leadership a little bit later, but uh, it's so nice to be in a collaboration with uh, somebody like Dr. G, and I'm so pleased uh, to be invested with him uh, in his new endeavors uh, with uh, Poema Academy, uh, which actually comes from Ephesians 2.10, that we are Christ's workmanship, and that word there in Greek is poema. We are literally poems. That's what the word sounds like. That's what the word comes from. Uh, the word poem, literally, we are his poetry. And so I'm sitting wow. with my poet brother over here. <laughs> Don't, and, give, don't and, give me all five. And he's that. all excited to know yes. that he is a poema. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, good luck on taking this to the inner city and getting them to understand. But we'll, we'll, we'll get them together. Uh, what we do each and every week on Warp and Wolf Radio is go in and discuss these topics uh, in depth and offer a little wisdom and knowledge. And when we come back, through our musical jazz interlude, as my brother likes to say. <laughs> We're going to go in education. You're listening to Warping with Radio on the Cool Groove site at RadioNext.tv. RadioNext.tv, live. You're listening to Comenius Institute-sponsored Warping with Radio. Dr. Mark Echo, Harold H.B. Bell in studio, man. And you have uh, ripped right into the passion of my wheelhouse today. <laughs> um, educational change. We need to reform on uh, the way education is done, Mark. And, uh, you know, right. we, we talk about this candidly all the time, and there are so many variables included in, in education and the lack thereof of what we're doing today in the 21st century versus what our young people are needing right. uh, to, to, to excel. So uh, let's get right into it, man, as we talk about it. Um, why is the discussion about education uh, so important to, to everyone and anyone that's listening? Yeah. Uh, I got to tell this story from uh, my teaching at Moody Bible Institute back in, what was that, 1999, I started teaching there. And uh, I rolled into my first course, and I had created this horrendous curriculum. I mean, it was just abysmal. 
I had them memorizing all kinds of stuff and writing all kinds of stuff, tests, and it was just awful. So the syllabus, you know, you could tell as I was going through the syllabus, their faces just got longer and longer and longer. Who is this new guy? You know? Yeah, he's boring me to death. Yeah, oh, my word. So then I go to the corner of the room where the trash can is. I, take, I pick up the trash can. I put it on the desk, and I say, okay, now crumple all those syllabi up. Uh, wad them all up, play a little basketball here, and let me give you the real syllabus. Now, what did I do to those young people? Basically, what I did to them was something we call surprise. Now, surprise is you don't see that kind of thing coming. And I think it's important that we do the uh, do exactly the opposite of uh, doing the same old, same old. So I believe in the basic concept of never let them see you coming. I think that the issue of surprises is important. Certainly, if we're going to talk about tactics in any kind of game or if we talk about military or anything like that, the whole issue of surprise is huge. So I was teaching this course, uh, I remember his Old Testament course, and uh, we got into the issue of pride. And I had brought with me a Dr. Seuss book, Yertle the Turtle. And if you remember the story about Yertle the Turtle, the whole idea is that Yertle the Turtle thought he was all that. And he started climbing up in the backs of all the turtles so he could see as far as he could see. And he was the king of Salamisand. Well, bottom line was it took me five minutes to read the story. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at the end of the story, the turtle falls off the stack and he's down in the mud with everybody else, you know, like we all should be. Well, I get done reading the, this story, five minutes, and I said, now, would you rather hear this five-minute story or a 45-minute preachment on pride? <laughs> oh, my word. You, of course, hands down, let's read Dr. Seuss. So my whole point in communication is never let them see you coming. Always surprise people with where, they're, where you're coming from. And never let them see the same thing being done all the time. This is a big problem in education, and we're going to get into it a little bit deeper with some other questions and issues here. But to begin with, everybody should be concerned about this because we all like to be surprised. We don't like the same thing all the time. Well, that, that's ironic that you that you mentioned uh, uh, the, the element of surprise and something new um, and change, man. And, and especially as we grow older as a community, man, change seems to be one of the hardest things that um, older folks need to endure. You hear me mention this. All, truth, yeah. You hear me mention this all the time. Like that's the reason I love Virginia listening in on this show. I mean, you yeah. know, she's eighty-three years old, and uh, she has changed and understand the importance yeah, to say is. the way we used to communicate is not the way we can keep doing right. it. If the way that the is, if the medium is the message, mm-hmm. you better learn how to work the new medium, that's else you're right. going to be left behind on getting information. So, so why is change? Um, so important, man, not only in education, but yeah. in everything. We're being willing to change. Sure. So l- let me just come back to our mom here and say, uh, when we were, when I was out there in Denver, uh, there's a new app on our phones called Marco Polo that Chelsea has, uh, introduced to us. And the whole point of Marco Polo is these little video vignettes that you can send back and forth to each other. And it was so much fun, uh, to see mom enjoy those things, you know, for the yeah. little kids. And so now she, what's, what's happening with her? She wants to put that app on her phone so she can be invested as well. So your point about mom is exactly true that if you're interested in staying with it and staying up on things, get up on it. You got to change along yeah. with it. So let's just say what everybody knows. Change happens. Let's just put a period on that and say it's happening all the time. The question then becomes, okay, now what are you going to do about it? 
So when we talk about this, we talk about this, I think, from a a biblical point of view. Let's begin there and say, you know what, there are things that I'm not going to be able to control, and that's outside my purview, and I'm going to say, you know what, God's sovereign, he's in control. I might not like what happens to me, but there it is. I have to deal with the change under the auspices of God's sovereignty. Then, just as much as that, I have to respond to my own responsibility. So God's sovereign. He's got everything going on. And even though stuff happens that I don't necessarily like, I get it that he's in charge. At the same time, I make my own decisions. And if I make dumb moves, guess whose fault that is? I'm not looking at heaven for that. That's my responsibility. So when we talk about change, we have to come at it from those two doctrinal standpoints. There is a God who's in charge. Stuff happens. Change happens. We don't, we have to flow with that. At the same time, if we do our own changing, we bear the responsibility for those changes, whatever they might be. Absolutely, and that's the free will. And we there always is. talk scripture, uh, uh, specifically scripture coming from Proverbs. That's what this show is really based around, the rules of how we should live and how do we weave that wisdom and knowledge uh, together. Um, and I know strongly uh, when I read Proverbs, some of the scripture and some of the things it says about change, yeah. uh, which is uh, directly related to complacency. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about scripture, man, yeah. and how the Bible reveals, you know, the willingness and the uh, the, the need yes. to change. Right. So one of the classic passages, and by I mean classic, this is old school, like you always, you, you love using that phrase. Uh, this is the old school statement about change and our responsibility to it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So I'll just pause there and say, you've got <laughs> two choices. <laughs> you've got two choices. you got the trust in God or trust in yourself. Those are the issues here. And if you want to change and do your own thing, well, that's up to you. Set next verse, Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths or make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So, two paths. You got the path of God and you got your own path. Now, if you go down your own path, understand that you can't point back to heaven and say this is your fault because you made those decisions move. So when we talk about the issue of change and how we need to be careful about maintaining a movement in the right direction, we have to be maintaining a direction that connects to heaven. And that's what Proverbs 3 is all about. Absolutely. And that has so many different uh, colors and flavors. You know, as we are all individually, uniquely, divinely yeah. built. Uh, you know, and I think that's what we have to remember as uh, people who are serving Christ. That You know, man, if he would have wanted us all alike, we would all look alike <laughs> and we would that's all right. be doing the same things. And this would be a real uh, robotic type mm-hmm. way to get to heaven but he True. loved the individualism of us yeah. uh we're going to come back and talk about uh life events and in, in, in the current state of education as it there is right go. now and speaking of change some of the things that we can do and need to do you are listening to warping wolf radio on the cool groove site at radionext.tv and we are back. You are listening to Comenius Institute sponsored Warp and Wolf Radio live from the Collaborate 317 Radio Next TV studio. And if you have not had an opportunity to come out, we invite you out to 4202 North EMS Boulevard. That is uh, about 42nd and Mount Comfort Road and come see what we're doing out here. Uh, building nonprofits had a fruitful meeting this morning, uh, in our impact LinkedIn meeting, introducing, uh, different businesses and organizations to one another, uh, seeing how we can help sponsor 
on ideas and resources and help uh, two other organizations and nonprofits inside the Collaborate 317. Uh, but we are talking education today here, Mark, on uh, Warp and Wolf Radio, uh, specifically about education and the need to change the educational model as we know it. Um, as you know, if you don't know, I've been doing a nonprofit organization, community rural nonprofit, over the last 10 years, going up on 11 years now, how time flies, um, with the emphasis on educating people in 21st century um, <laughs> uh, tools, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, we is. have been, um, if you don't know this, and this is before we get to yeah. uh, life and events, Mark, we have been using the same calendar school year mm. based off of the farming laws where, where farmers and, and uh, harvesting crops was the most important uh, way to make money or the most vi uh, valuable way to make some money uh, back in the 1800s, since 1846. Yeah. 1846, man. Yeah. Well, we're coming up on 200 years where we are still speaking of change, yeah, and we exactly. don't want to change that. Um, my reality, and I mention this to you all the time, my reality about education is if it's to prepare our young people for what's to happen when they get into the real world, mm -hmm. the first thing we have to do is <laughs> let them know you're not off half of a year. That's the yeah, you're not off half of a year doing anything in real life. Right. Uh, so, you know, the first thing on my agenda is, okay, let's figure out how we're going to incorporate, much like uh, uh, Ping is going to talk about today. Right. Let's talk about how we develop skill sets That's right. as we're educating the principal fundamental tools and rules of education, yeah. uh, but also introducing them to here's real life and here's what you're going to be doing when right. you get out in this real world. Um, and that leads us to life and current events. Uh, what do we have to know, man, about the state of education in America today? So to your question or to your comments. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I went on a rant. I'm yeah, sorry. That's, a, that's good, man. I'll, I'll riff off your rant. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I really believe this, uh, this whole idea that somehow uh, you're going to expect students to remember what you taught them two months ago. Uh, because they have some summer break, because you're based on this harvest schedule that doesn't exist anymore. I mean, this is ridiculous, yeah. and it's only hurtful, and it's especially, I'll, I'll rephrase that, I'll say it, it's especially hurtful to those young people who don't have the same advantages, who, uh, let's say, for instance, who might be underprivileged, living in poverty with one parent. We could go on and on. So the issues that surround uh, different individuals within their neighborhoods is even issue uh, an issue that we find here. Even with our guest uh, from last week, she was talking about this. Maddie uh, was discussing this very issue and how uh, young people desperately need a consistency and a coherence to their schooling and so that we don't take these huge amounts of time off. To your point, you do not... Let me repeat, you do not take eight weeks off from work. This is just unbelievable. You just don't do that. Mark, I make jokes about this all the time. But I don't want a haircut by my barber if he's been off for two months. I don't want a good meal from my favorite restaurant if mm -hmm. that chef has taken off two months. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go dance with my lady if she hadn't danced in two months. I mean, really, you know, yeah. two months is a long time off, yeah. and you have to retrain your brain to get back right. into sync. Yeah. Uh, if we say that doing something 21 days is a habit, yeah. Guess what else it does? Yeah. If 21 days of not learning, that becomes a habit. Think about what <laughs> these NBA teams do before a game. They go out, and what do they do? They shoot around. They shoot free throws. Do you and think they practice all year all on their craft. All year long. And still have to practice. And still have to practice <laughs> before the game. 
Come on, people. Do we hear ourselves here? This is huge. So when we talk about uh, the issue of change and the necessity of this, let me just make a couple of general comments. Uh, you're listening to somebody who uh, is... I refer to myself as a classic conservative. That is, when I'm talking about uh, education or life or anything else, I believe in transcendent universal principles that apply to all people, all places, all time, all cultures. I don't care where you are, who you are. This stuff matters. So when I talk about uh, education, I'm talking about the same kind of thing that my brother HB is talking about. That is, we need to build uh, tools within schools so that young people have uh, an understanding of how they're going to live the rest of their lives. We are dead set against the latest fad. We are always for the uh, giving students a foundation from which they can build their lives. Every single student's going to be different. Every single uh, class that we offer ought to be different according to the students that we have in class. I find this to be true all the time. I never teach uh, my courses the same way to any given group of people because they're so different from each other, even the groups of individuals within a class. Why do I think that somehow this is going to change? It's not. So I have to get with the program. That is, I have to adapt to the students that I have in the class with the material that I have. The material doesn't change, but the students do. I know that's right, man. And, you know, uh, that classification was kind of nice. I like the way you kind of boxed yourself in there. Uh, I would consider myself a principle-driven free spirit. <laughs> if I could describe me. But 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 in that being the case, and, and we both, man, have this in common. That's the reason I say twins. You know, really, yeah. really, I'm, I'm hoping somebody gets why I call us twins. Because inside, man, we are so much alike about mm -hmm. what our concerns and cares are. Mm -hmm. And so we are both uh, uh, right at that 60 mark. You're 60. I'm 59. Mm -hmm. And the older generation, man, we have to be concerned about what happens and the knowledge and the wisdom that our young people consume. Right. So why should we be, as an older generation, really concerned about uh, education in this new generation, this younger generation coming up? So I got three R words for you. Look out. Three <laughs> R ready. words. I'm Here ready. Come. The first one's responsible. Uh, my responsibility, according to Psalm 78, is that I bear responsibility to pass on uh, what I have. So uh, the psalmist David says, until I'm old and gray, I am going to teach your mighty works to the next generation. The same kind of thing is said in places like Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, where we are told that uh, men are to teach other men who are going to then teach other men. So first, our word is responsible. The second one is respectable. Let me say this. Scripture is very clear about this. Respect is not earned, it's given. Hebrews 13, 17, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 and 12, both of these passages say you respect the individual because they're in the office that God has given them. You then respect everybody, 1 Peter chapter 2, including, oh, by the way, even the president when you don't like him, you give respect to him. This is very important that we understand this. So we're giving respect to everybody. And, oh, listen, teachers who are off school listening to me right now, you give respect to your students because those young people are doing a job right now. Their job is to be a student. You respect them for who they are. And then there's the repeatable issue. So this is the third R word. We're repeatable. That is, we have to be wary of the fact that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And we have to constantly ask ourselves the question, are there things we need to change for the future in ourselves so that when other people look at us and they look at what we produce, they don't say, wow, that was really messed up. You did a really bad job discipling that person. So 
Responsibility, respectability, repeatability, those are my three R words. My responsibility, your responsibility, the younger generation. Absolutely, man, and I take it so serious. Uh, you know, these young people are, are looking for, and, and we, we mention this each and every week, on this show about uh, the cultural divides and the differences that go on and take place and what I have to do as an African-American man uh, for the younger people might be a different role than you have to deal with for That's the right. college students entering IUPUI with a whole nother view of life so far. That's and right. uh, I think that we need to know uh, where are these young people in their life um, when when we meet them, That's you know, right. how do we reach them? And I love what you said about every child is different, so the way we teach has to be different. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, I, I did the uh, uh, speaking at my coach's memorial on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, tell yeah tell about uh, it. It was so awesome because you and I share. I told you the day that we were sharing how important he was to me. Yeah. Uh, an hour later, after that show, I found out he had passed, and mm. uh, it, it was uh, he was such a great man. And I mean, one of those kind of guys where. Not a hugger, not a uh, I love you kind of dude, but his actions yeah. spoke so loud about how he felt about you that you yeah. didn't wait on that. You, I mean, sometimes he would be cussing you out, and that was his real way to say he loved you. So, you, uh -huh. you know, I found guys on the team trying to say, well, he's always cussing at HB. How do I get him to cuss at me? You know, that kind of deal. But in speaking about um, his, his influence of me as a man mm -hmm. and where I am now, and trying to direct and guide young people, yeah. um, there's a responsibility, yeah. uh, especially when you know your situation. And when I know sure. that there are young African-American boys and girls, 72% uh, of them statistics say coming from single households. Mm -hmm. That means i got to step my game up. That's right. i got to be more important than just a guy they see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. i got to have influence. So it was powerful, man. It was, it was great to mm -hmm. see. And, and receive information from all the different people, and it all go and bottleneck back to what a great man George Brown was. Yeah. So it was powerful. That's a great testimony. It was powerful. But with that being said, um, our educational system, Mark, I, I'm watching it, and I'm saying we're not preparing <laughs> these young people for what they're going to be doing and contributing to our society once they get out of this K through 12 platform. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that Ping has talked about, and you know I've talked about, one of the mm -hmm. things that I write uh, for the Community Role Nonprofit is entrepreneurial training. That's right. I get people more in tune with saying, okay, what's my passion and how can I monetize mm -hmm. it? Uh, why don't we hear more about um, education and entrepreneurship in the same sentence in our in our K through 12 educational system. Oh, what, is, what is that? Oh, man. I was, <laughs> what is that? I was with another one of our board members, uh, Liz Meyer, and uh, we were kind of brainstorming about some things. And I was pacing back and forth, and we were lobbing ideas back and forth. And, and uh, she made a comment at some juncture when she said, you know, that's, that's really out-of-the-box thinking. And I turned and I smiled at her, and I said, what box? I haven't seen the box. I don't know who built the box. I've not been in the box. I don't... <laughs> Where's the box? So we're actually developing uh, a couple of us, a couple of pastors here in the area, Chris Davis and Jerry Davis, uh, are developing uh, what we're referring to as what box leadership. And the question yeah. is, why should we even talk about a box? Because there really isn't one. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about the issue of being an entrepreneur, I'm going to go back to what you said before and kind of tag on to that again and talk more about the issue of tools. We need to develop in our young people the basic bollop in our young people, 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 
the basic bollop in our young people, the bottom line ideas that are generally true for all people, all places, all time, all cultures, these are universal truths. They're very essential for all of us. Let's take, for instance, just a very simple thing like right and wrong. Right and wrong are classic examples of there's an order in life and you have to follow that. We were just reading Proverbs chapter 3 about this. I don't think anybody can kick about that. But the issue then comes when we're actually training uh, students to think about certain subject areas. So I don't care if you're talking about math or science or literature or history. You're going to ask yourself the question, where are my students at right now? What are they thinking about? What are the, where do we live? What state of the union are we in? Are we uh, in a place that's near a seashore? Are we near a place that's near mountains? Are we near a place that's poor? Are we near a place that's rich? And I'm going to address the needs and activities and interests of the students at that time and place, but with classic comments and rules and tools that are going to help them through life because those tools and those rules don't change. What does change is their circumstance, their surroundings, where they come from. You're smiling. So, no, because you, you, you're talking, you, you know, yeah. putting, uh, putting frosting on scripture. You know, I love <laughs> it, though. It but that's how, that is how we should educate. Yeah. That is how we should teach because yeah. scripture clearly says, you know, when it comes to principles, stand firm and planted, you know, that's like right. a tree next to the stream. But when it comes to fashion, pretty much be willing to change. <laughs> that's right. You know what it yeah. says. We're yeah. going to come right back. I'm getting it in. We're going to show how our faith based in our Christian community uh, needs to come to work together uh, with education and how we apply and uh, import education to our young people. This is Warping Wolf Radio on the Cool Groove site. We're listening to Comenius Institute sponsored radio show Warping Wolf each Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Dr. Mark Echo, Harold H.B. Bell, trying to make some sense out of all these different problems that we face in our community. Um, and today we are specifically talking about a passion of mine, education, um, and the transformation of education in the 21st century. Uh, we are still using so many tactics and techniques, Mark, from uh, the industrial age training, how to get a kid Not through right. high school to become either a, a factory worker or a military person, or you're going to go to post-secondary education, become a lawyer, doctor, accountant, or whatever. And mm-hmm. this world is so different now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information advantages for our young people, I don't think that we're using those tools effectively um, in the community and in our educational platform. So we're going to get them stirred up here on this segment, man. You already <laughs> said you're trying to shock the house. And first of all, if we change the educational platform in Indianapolis, what, what would you see this city looking like if we use the tools and, and change the rules of education? What would it look like? In Imagine a thriving metropolis, a thriving metropolis centered around human universal transcendent principles where the city experiences wholeness. Uh, what I've just ex- described is right out of Jeremiah 29.7, uh, which says that God expects his people to live in the city uh, for its welfare, for its wholeness, for its completion, so that the city might be benefited and that the, all the people in the city might have better welfare. In fact, three times in that verse, it uses the Hebrew word shalom, that we might bring shalom to the city, that the city might be shalomed for the shalom of the city. So this whole concept of uh, there are good and bad neighborhoods, for instance, that's gone because we're all just going to talk about neighborhoods. Just imagine if the educational uh, values of this uh, concept of entrepreneurial education were based on shalom, this completeness or wholeness, where the educational processes are invested with 
uh, Christian thinking and Christian truths. Uh, this is the essence and the emphasis of Jeremiah chapter 29, where God's people were in the Babylonian captivity. They were in Babylon. And what did God tell them? This is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to work for the peace, for the shalom of the city. I'm telling you, HB, thriving metropolis out of 317. Well, I mean, the hell, I was going to say, <laughs> we could just uh, put that scripture on top of the collaborative 317 mantra because that is exactly what we're doing out here uh, at Collaborate 317 is saying, how do we get the best out of the uh, each individual part of the whole? Um, and, and that leads us to the next question, uh, <laughs> Dr. Mark Eccles, since you want to get people riled up. Uh, yeah, we're going to get them riled you, here. Okay, so why should Christians become more involved in the discussion of entrepreneurial education? Education. I mean, what's our responsibility yeah. as Christians? So I'm going to say what maybe I've said a time or two in the past, but let me jump on this because I know it's Christmas break and I know that there are some educators out there listening that don't get a chance to listen. So I'm going to both uh, come alongside you, put my arm around you, and I'm also going to do a little butt kicking. So right. here, it, here it comes. Let's rock and roll. If we care about justice, okay, I'm just going to talk generally about justice, then guess what? There is justice in every arena of life. Justice simply means understanding what's right and what's wrong. And so if we're going to talk about justice generally, then we have to talk about justice and how it applies in individualized uh, concerns or areas, one of which is education. That's what we're talking about today. So our concern today right now is educational justice. That's what we're concerned with. Let me make a, a few general comments about this and then specific, make specific examples. Money and help is going in the wrong direction right now. Money and help is going in the direction of people's pockets and in large corporations and in unions. And those kinds of things need to stop if we're concerned about the justice of our uh, students. So give, uh, here are some examples. We are constantly adding layers and layers of administration in schools. We get more and more administrators that sap more and more of them out of the money away from the teachers and away from the students that need it. We do not need more layers of administration. And I'm not talking just about individualized schools. I'm talking about from the federal government on down. We do not need people in Washington telling us how to teach and where that money should go, nor do we need extra layers of administrators in individual schools. And I could go into very specific detail here, but I'll spare everybody. You are going cold to <laughs> yeah. a political brother. So as I suggested early in the show, and I made a point of this for a reason, uh, because I am a classic conservative, and again, I believe in transcendent principles, that's what I mean by that, and they're applied to all people, all places, all time, I want to limit government interference, top-down leadership. So that means I actually believe in something called limited government. That is, we should have less and less people telling us what to do, and they should give us more freedom to do what we know needs to be done. Now, if you're going to give us money, that is, by the way, our own money, tax dollars are the dollars that come out of your and my pocketbook. So the issue of money we're talking about is our money. So we should be able to direct our money in the way that it should go. I think this is really important. Limited government is important just as much as limited administration is important. Let me say something about teacher unions. Unions that are more concerned about politics than students are wrong. I'm going to say that again. Unions that are more concerned about politics than students are wrong. You need to get off your high horse about whatever you think is best or right or wrong on your side of the aisle. I don't care. Concern yourself with your students. 
And then I'll say something about curricula. Curricula needs to be written and taught by local teachers that benefit the city, then the state, and then the federal institutions. And it needs to go in that direction. We need to have people who are teaching young people right here in Indianapolis who are writing the curriculum for people, young people in Indianapolis because they know what these young people need. And then it benefits everybody else around us instead of Washington or some other uh, state house telling us what to do in education. Now, I'm not talking against accountability. Everybody needs accountability. I'm just saying accountability doesn't need to come from across the coastline. That's what I'm saying. Students and subjects must receive reciprocal care. That means that both things are important. If I'm going to teach math, there are certain math principles that are essential, but I need to meet the students where they're at with those math essentials so that they get it. This, we need the best, and I'll just end with this, my harangue with this thing, HB. Go ahead. I'm sitting up here quite amused. Like, I've never seen him this red before. I'm frothing at the mouth over here. So I'm just going to say this last thing. We need the best and the brightest as teachers. We do not need the dregs uh, coming out of college. We need the people who are the best mathematicians, the best scientists, the best people with uh, interpretive skills, the best people that are going to be doctors, uh, the best people that do uh, language study, all these things. And guess what you're going to be able to do or what, what you need to do in order to get these people? Pay teachers better. Pay them better. If you pay them better, you'll get the best people to come teach your kids. So set that up in a way that the teachers are going to get the most money and not administration, not Washington, D.C., local people, feeding them, paying them. That's what it's all about, H.B. <laughs> you okay over there? I'm okay. Okay, I never okay. My, in, I never my blood pressure's up deep. a little bit. But. And, and you went in deep on a, on a philosophical, personal philosophical uh, uh, a rant, and, and that's cool. Uh, you know, for me, for me, I think that uh, we have a responsibility because the true, uh, true sense of freedom, I think, in, in your life is to live as close to your design as possible while you're able to monetize it. Um, I don't think that um, the, the strive should be how rich I'm going to be versus sure. how much I can contribute and give back. Um, I, I use this example all the time, poor, broken, wealthy for a reason because <laughs> I am able to influence so many people. Uh, with this platform, being able to influence so many young people by having this platform and this opportunity that uh, in dollars and cents, it might mm -hmm. not make sense. But in the results of and what I get to watch and um, when, when you get to see people influenced by, OK, I met this person where they were and was able to influence and empower them. I think that that is uh, kind of like, you know, what what the reasoning should be. And that's just my personal belief. Sure. How does Comenius uh, yeah. create a platform? That, that invites entrepreneurial education as, as part of his philosophy. Absolutely. These are the, the issues that I think are near and dear, not only to you and me, but also to the Institute itself. Uh, so we're talking about college and community and then culture. When we talk about college, we're concerned, of course, with the issue of young people going into uh, higher education out of high school. And we're helping to create a bridge for them, Christian young people, so that they know, hey, you know what, they, when they hear something that's untoward or different from what they've known all of their lives, they have somebody uh, that actually cares about them at the university campus uh, that can interpret and help with knowledge issues. Uh, even this last semester, I was helping young people write papers, giving them resources and research uh, from places that they weren't going to get from the university sector because uh, – 
professors do have different points of view. Just like I have a point of view, so do my colleagues at IUPUI. So we're going to help young people at college. We're going to help young people when it comes to the issue of community. We're going to show them by example how we get along with each other. We're going to draw other people uh, to us who may not necessarily agree with us about everything. That's not the issue. The issue is, hey, you bring something to the table I don't have. That's really important. Can we demonstrate community to young people? And then, of course, the third issue is the issue of culture. The issue of culture is how do I think differently about all of the things that I see in culture, the different kinds of ideas, the different kinds of behaviors, the different kinds of uh, demonstrations, the different kinds of products that come out of a culture. And how do I think about those from a Christian vantage point? Can I enjoy the arts? Can I be involved in business? Can I be invested in computer technology? Can I be uh, a dramatist? Can I be a singer? It doesn't matter whatever it is. Whatever it is that we're helping you to understand culture better, this is what community, our community, Cominius does. We emphasize college, community, and culture, and we help young people to not only benefit from those things, but also to interpret them from a Christian vantage point. Woo, that is heavy duty, man. And uh, we are talking um, entrepreneurial education today. How can we transfer uh, what people learn and monetize it and, and make it effective in the society, uh, in the society that we live in? Uh, too many times we've got people striving for A's and that A means nothing uh, in applying it to a workplace or into a culture uh, for the advancement of a people. We're going to come back. Dr. Ping shall be in. Going to take a couple of musical breaks and we're going to talk to him about the brand new school. What's that school, man? Poema. Poema. I'm going to get that and put it on my shirt and see how many people don't know what in the heck I'm talking about, but they go buy it anyway. You know we do that, don't That's you? Right. Yeah, we'll go That's buy right. it if we don't know what it is and it looks good. We'll go buy it. You're listening to Warping Wolf Radio. We're back, and boy, sometimes the conversations all fair better than the ones that we can give you, but I want to stay on this Internet platform, so we better just keep those behind the closet. As we wait on Dr. Ping to come in, uh, Mark, we've been talking education in a very, very candid way entrepreneurial education um, and we're going to kind of start winging it now because of course every first hour of the show each week we try to bring information that is is concise and, yep. and information that is strategically set up um, from an educational platform where you can take something away and use it and apply it mm-hmm. and then in the second hour since I guessed in here right now, he lets me come in and start asking some <laughs> questions or giving some opinions based off of uh, some of the things that we can do to enhance education and and, and have youngsters embrace education. And, and I'm going to start there. I think yeah. that the main thing, Mark, that we do wrong is that we come in with an agenda, as you mentioned earlier. Have an agenda. And Dr. Ping just walked in. And I'm going to ask this question because this will lead right yeah. into what you and Dr. Ping are talking about. Um uh, the the agenda is to say, okay, we're going to set up this educational system mm-hmm. that grades our young people versed off what they can remember, <laughs> basically, is what we're doing. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, when we already know that uh, probably 50 to 60% of the young people uh, uh, learn by touching and doing versus than just remembering something. Yeah. And, and as Dr. Ping comes in and we're talking about entrepreneurial education, that's a great, great way for Dr. Ping to introduce himself. And then I'm going to step out the room and I want to hear what you guys have to say <laughs> No, about that because yeah. we, have to, we have to do this different and we're still using old techniques and tools. Hey, Ping, how you doing, Hi. brother? How you doing? Oh, absolutely wonderful. You on the spot, man. Go ahead and yeah. introduce yourself. Yeah, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family. Okay. Uh, a little bit about the school you're teaching at, and then we'll get into the, the good, deep stuff about what we think education should be. 
Yes, yeah. Um, I am a high school math teacher at the Greenwood Christian Academy, and uh, I have been uh, teaching there for the past uh, seven years now. And uh, originally, I, uh, I grew up in China, and uh, uh, I left China when I was 21, and I went to Canada for my graduate study. So I did my master and PhD in electrical engineering. Hmm. And after that, I worked as an engineer for about uh, 16 years. Okay. And you came from China. You're talking about uh, mainland or Taiwan? Mainland. Mainland China. Mm-hmm. And so you came here, uh, you came to the West, you did your uh, studies in Canada. Yeah. Uh, so are you a citizen of the U.S. now? Yes, I am. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's interesting that, that the Chinese would let you go. I mean, you're so good at what you do. Well, the thing is, uh, when I left China, uh, I was on a, a government scholarship, and uh, um, I was supposed to go back. Oh. And uh, But uh, in 1989, there is something called uh, the, the Tiananmen ma- Massacre, mm-hmm. uh, the Beijing student movement. Yes. And so I was in uh, Canada at that time, but I was very active uh, and supporting the students uh, on the square, Thames Square. Mm-hmm. So because of that, actually, I got... Uh, uh, I was put on the blacklist. Ah, so they didn't want you back. They, they didn't want me they back. They didn't want you back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they didn't You're want one of those back. kind of people, huh? Right, yeah. I, was, I was definitely a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> and he's still stirring the pot here, everybody who's still, listening. Yeah, still, still stirring the pot. I remember that. <clears throat> I remember that evening uh, very, very uh, specifically. I remember right where I was. I remember Dan Rather reporting yeah. uh, that particular evening. And then I remember when they shut him off. I'll yeah. never forget that. Yeah. Uh, they, the live feed was gone. It was really rather an amazing time. And, of right. course, one of the most iconic images of all time came out of the Tiananmen Square Massacre, which was the young student standing in front of the tank. Yep. Those of us who know those things, or at least to understand the history of them, uh, really do appreciate immensely uh, what those students stood for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And they were fighting for fe- freedom. I mean, that's what they oh, wanted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... Uh uh, like me personally, I I, I always a uh, uh, rebel. You say mm-hmm. that I always like to challenge the establishment mm-hmm. because uh, I, I think we all know that uh, even in this country uh, we have a political system, we have an education system, and they're all broke. Yes. And so right now, I think most people feel like we are not powerless. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, that's not true. We have power. We, yeah, we actually do have uh, the opportunity to exercise authority in many respects. And that's, of course, what we're talking about here today. We're talking about being entrepreneurial educators. Right. And this is uh, an important an idea. Uh, actually, HB brought it up uh, just as he was leaving, the concept of uh, the different kinds of ways that we learn. Some young people learn kinesthetically. Some learn verbally. Some learn visually. Uh, and we have to meet students where they're at. But one of the first questions that I have to ask you, and, and because we're both high school teachers, I still teach a high school course, mm-hmm. you're teaching uh, every week uh, in, a, in a high school. Tell us why and how you became a high school math teacher. Well, um, when I was uh, work as an engineer, um, uh, and I saw that actually uh, how bad our American math education uh, it was at that time because uh, I work at um, 
I worked at eight years as an engineer, then eight years managing a, a group of engineers. And those people actually uh, have uh, the graduates, say, like Purdue and places like that. Mm. But their math still pretty bad. Mm. I mean, their math just basically, uh, I would say, middle school math. Wow. Uh, they still struggle with, like, uh, you know, trigonometry functions and things like that. I mean, definitely most people don't even understand calculus. Mm. They learn that in school. They just, like, they never understood it. So I thought, um, it's kind of bad. And uh, uh, I think I, I can do something. Um, originally, uh, my plan was uh, after I spent some year in the industry, and I want to go back to college uh, to do research and to teach in college. Uh, I, I, can, I still can teach in college. But uh, when I was thinking about that, uh, somehow I feel God calling me to do something else. Hmm. And uh, later it became clear that God actually wanted me to go to high school. Mm. Because, uh, it, well, at that time I thought that high school student, you can still uh, do something. You can yeah. help them to understand and uh, help them to learn. Um, so that was always in my, uh, in my heart. And, but I thought that I have to wait until both my kids uh, go through college. Because as both of us know, teaching does not. It doesn't uh, pay. It yeah. doesn't pay. <laughs> That's right. Uh, kind of give you kind of uh, a magnitude. Uh, when I became a teacher, um, I was making uh, about one-third of what I used to make as an engineer. Sure. <laughs> so it's yeah. a huge pay, pay card for me. Yeah. But I, I felt like that's God wa- uh, where God wanted me. And mm. God did take care of me. Mm. And uh, so uh, my, my, my original plan is wait until both my kids uh, graduate from college. Uh, but then... Uh, in the spring of uh, 2011, uh, I had a major episode of depression. Mm. So I, I had to stay home for about half a year. So during that time, I did a lot of thinking and praying and all that. So I was pretty convinced that God uh, wanted me to become a, a high school teacher at that time instead of wait. So basically just can't step out. Mm-hmm. Um, by faith and mm-hmm. God just provided so mm-hmm. um, I I uh, I thought that I had to go back to school to get a teacher's license and all that but it turned out there are opportunities to come and there is uh, uh, Greenwood Christian Academy uh, private um, uh, Christian school uh, they need a teacher to teach calculus uh, the, the previous teacher uh, um is going to have a baby, and she mm. decided to stay home. Uh, so that's yeah. how it worked out. Go. Because private school, then they, I don't have to have my teacher's license. Okay, all right. So I and still don't have it. Yeah, <laughs> and just by the way, and let me just speak for, for uh, Dr. G as well as uh, myself and everybody else, the issue of uh, accreditation and certification is putting the cart before the horse. And what happens oftentimes is that people emphasize the cart so much they forget yeah. about the horse. Yep. Uh, because here you have a man who can teach math, who can teach uh, calculus, and you want that particular person teaching young people. You don't care if this person has gone back to take uh, coursework that necess- uh, of necessity uh, checks pot boxes that somebody else has set up. Yeah. Uh, certainly this was true for me. I don't have an ed degree either. Mm-hmm. I've only had one education degree uh, mm-hmm. or a course in my whole life, and that was this last summer. Right. So there it is. Yeah, I think something's wrong here because of uh, bureaucracy and all that, yeah. and they, they just like the low code. I mean, the administration has now 
uh, public school, they don't really have the power to mm-hmm. hire people mm-hmm. that which are qualified. Right. Like in my case, I can teach math in in college. Yes, but if I go to public school, teach high school or middle school, they probably want me to have a teacher's license. Exactly, and what what ridiculous notion that is! My word, <laughs> give me a break. And uh, and I know a friend of mine. He she is a wonderful writer, very creative writer, and she could not teach English mm-hmm. because she didn't have a teacher's license. Yes. Yeah, this is uh, once again we're judging people based not on their abilities, not on their gifts, not on their productivity. We're basing basing our uh, hiring of somebody mm-hmm. based on what some bureaucrat, some other place has said has to be. Uh, okay, so uh, once again, uh, I'm thinking about our audience and not not saying certain things. So I'll leave that go for okay. the moment. Let's let's move on to the next the next question. Uh, just give us this the current state of Indiana high school education, and then math education in particular? Yeah, I think <coughs> I have been kind of uh, asking people around because I'm really interested in how things, what the state of education, because you just cannot rely on the government or, um, and the media to tell you. They don't mm-hmm. tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the more digging I did, uh, the more uh, worried I became. Uh, what happens is that um, uh, my school is private pu- college private school, so that pretty much give you could that I mean probably the uh, one of the best yes. situation there is. Yes, uh, and uh, IPS probably the worst. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but even a school like that, or we could look at the. the uh, uh, I live in uh, Central Group School District. Center Grove. Center Grove, okay. Yeah, which is uh, the best school on the south side. Okay. And my, both of my kids went through there. So if you just look at those schools, the good schools, and uh, still uh, most of their high school graduate, uh, they don't read at high school mm-hmm. level. And, and they probably, I mean, this is not actually not just here. This is nationwide. Yeah, nationwide. If you look at the whole uh, nation, as, uh, the whole uh, nation as a whole, uh, you uh, you'll find that uh, most of high school graduate can only read at middle school level, mm-hmm. like seven and six. Right. Yeah. And so how does that transfer then into the issue of math? Uh, what is the e- situation of issue, math? Uh, math is even worse. I think most audience probably uh, realize that. Uh, I think uh, just... Think about most parents now, they cannot help their kids mm-hmm. uh, when they get to middle school. Mm. But most of the parents already grad- had degree, even in college, college degrees. But their math just pretty much stuck in the uh, middle, uh, elementary school Elementary level. school level. And that's the truth for most high school graduates. Mm. What do you, what's the cause of that, do you think? What's the origin of the problem? Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think the problem is... Um, I, I realized that, I think actually recently, the problem I think we have is that uh, math uh, has never been taught. Hmm. We call it math, like the uh, elementary school, we call it math. Yeah. But that's not math. Okay. That's, they used to call it arithmetic, which means that uh, the original meaning of arithmetic means arts of counting. So basically counting techniques. Counting. Yeah, counting okay. techniques, okay. which is not math. Mm-hmm. It is not science. Because math and science, you're going to ask her much deeper questions. Yes. You're asking why. Why? Why those two 
mean, why two even <coughs> numbers add together to give another even number? Mm-hmm. Things like that. But we don't do that. Mm. We just uh, do mean adding, subtraction, and all that. But mo- most, uh, even nowadays, uh, a lot of kids now don't even know how to do that. Mm. They just rely on the calculator. Yes. And uh, I taught some seventh grade kids um, when they do the computer. Uh, do the add stuff together, they still have user fingers, mm-hmm. which is, to me, is shocking. Mm-hmm. They should be able to know multiplication, times table, and all that, but sure. they don't. They don't. So now, when you go to middle school, uh, it's supposed to learn math, but they never did. They're still learning how to compute. Mm. So if you look at middle school and high school, if you look at all the textbooks, all you see is how do you compete, uh, compete, compute. I mean, you have the formula, you plug a number, get a number, mm-hmm. and make sure the number is right. And uh, uh, most uh, kids, they don't know what it was going on. Mm. And once they get to high school level, they don't even care to mm. know what's going on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that's 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 what I say that we we, we never mass I mean math has never been taught in this country. Wow. That is quite the uh, the statement. Math has never been taught in this country. You are listening to Dr. G and Dr. Echo and Dr. Bell. Go ahead, <laughs> sir. I, I just want to say this as a listener. Um, a lot of times when we educate, we forget that uh, the people we are trying to impart knowledge to have to have some type of connected reason to want their brain to absorb what it is right. that we're trying to teach. And I don't think other than buying stuff, uh, do little kids, especially, you know, who did not start in business, you know, we have to make education exciting yeah. or something that they can grab onto right. because just math and calculus isn't going to stimulate the mind of a young person. How does it apply in my world is what they want to know. Mm-hmm. And if we can figure that out, we're better. We're going to come right back. Warp and Wolf Radio on the Cool Groove site. Dr. Ping, Dr. Echo in here getting it in. And we are back. Warp and Wolf Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We have been doing this for two years. Let me just give you a little bit of a promo in the next couple of weeks. Next week we have the chaplains, actually, the chaplains of the State House coming in. We can't wait to have them here. That will be a great time for us. And then uh, the week after that, the very first episode of the new year, we are going to be celebrating our 100th show, 100th show. We're going to have a call-in show. Uh, We're going to be putting some things up on social media where people can respond uh, all of the folks uh, that have been on the show in the past are all invited to come in and say a good word here. Uh, we'd love, love to have all those folks come back, but that's what we have to look forward to here in the coming year. Right now, you're listening to Warp and Woof Radio discuss the issue of entrepreneurial education. And uh, Dr. G and Dr. Eckel are in the house, both educators. We're very much uh, concerned about the state of education. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, let, let's come back to something that we were talking about off-air, Doctor, as we talked about the issue of math. Tell us about the background of math, why math came to be, and then connect it to something you and HB were going back and forth on. All right, yeah. Uh, the thing is, well, kind of a little bit of background. The the reason kind of got into math is because I I love physics. Uh, not physics. I love uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. When I was a little kid, 10, 12-year-old, I was thinking where I come from, you know. Mm-hmm. You know the universe is so huge, right? Yeah. I'm just a one little tiny insignificant right. human being or there's something bigger for me. Right. And so that's kind of got me into it, and which is what math was uh, originally started. If you look at the, the human civilization, uh, only the Greek 
uh, only the um, uh, the Greeks uh, started the math. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about math today, everything uh, started uh, as uh, geometry. Geometry mm-hmm. is the first branch of math. Mm. Um, before that, it's mostly counting techniques. All the civilization had that, like the, the Egyptians, the Chinese, but they just bother the counting. They're trying to figure out how many, you know, uh, sheep, how many sheep they have, how many goats they have, yeah. h- how big the area they have, but they don't really care about the, the uh, anything mm-hmm. just beyond that. Mm-hmm. But the, the Greeks are kind of interesting. The, the Greek philosophers uh, back then, uh, they think, they, they believe that the whole universe uh, is divine. So that's, that's where pantheism comes from, mm-hmm. the whole universe. And we are, everyone's part of it. So therefore, uh, in order for any human being, in, in, in any individual to find the meaning in, in, uh, in his life or her life uh, or to have a successful life, a uh, happy life, is to find his or her place mm. in that cosmic order mm. and to find his or her niche, so to speak. Mm. But because their God is not personal, uh, so there is no direct revelation from God. Mm-hmm. So, so then you have to find it. Now, in order to find it, you need tools. And that's why uh, mathematics was invented. Mm. And uh, if you look at theory, we, we, we talk about theories and all that. If you look at the first uh, four letters of theory, it's T-H-E-O. No. has to do with theology, How right? about that? <laughs> so the theory actually, the original uh, Greek means... Uh, Theo, which is God, yep. Oria, which is I see. Mm-hmm. So put together is means I see the divine. There it so is. So when you discover theory, that means you see the divine, you see the hand, handiwork of God. Mm-hmm. And math is that. Like uh, Galilee actually said that mathematics is the alphabet with which God created the universe. There it is. That's right. God written the universe. So mm-hmm. if you want to understand God's handiwork, Math is a language, mm-hmm. and ma- which is a language, mm-hmm. the, which is the only language out there uh, help you to uh, get at least get close to the truth. At, as a theologian, my uh, people will ask me, what, does, what language does God speak? And my response is always the same. God speaks numbers mm-hmm. because he created his world yeah. in a mathematical format, in right. a mathematical way, because there's a coherent whole that's fit together, and that's really important. Well, let's kind of dovetail that into what you and HB were talking about off air, because this is an important concept here that we're discussing. You, you and HB were talking about the connection between the practice mm-hmm. and the practical of, let's say, for instance, music and the connection to geometry or uh, whatever other concepts that math, uh, calculus, and so on uh, bears the weight of those practices. Tell us about the connection uh, between true mathematic concepts uh, and where that comes in in its uh, connection to the practice of life. Right. Uh, I, I know you are into classic education. Yes. And passing about that too. So in the classic education tradition, there is four subjects you have to learn. Right. You learn. Uh, uh, grammar, yep, and you learn arithmetic, and you learn music. Mm-hmm. You learn uh, astrology. That's right. So, the idea behind that, uh, mm-hmm. the oh, you also learn geometry. 
Geometry was first, as Geometry. you suggested earlier. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the first uh, uh, mathematical branch, mm -hmm. first branch in mathematics. So uh, the idea behind why they put those subjects for the classic education is that uh, music is basically numbers. That's right. Music is the movement of numbers. Mm -hmm. Uh, astrology is the movement of geometry, the patterns and all mm -hmm. what you see. So that's the idea behind. Back then, when they look at things, they think about the whole thing as, uh, how do you say that? Coherence. A coherent whole yes. thing. Yes. But nowadays, we just cut them to small pieces, and each one has nothing to do with each other. There it is. So yep. if I teach math, I cannot talk about history. Mm. I cannot talk about theology. Mm. But back then, that's what everything got Everything connected. was, yeah. Right. Because how do you separate math from philosophy? Right. How do you separate math from theology? You can't. You can't. But nowadays, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is a huge and important issue, and it goes to one of the uh, doctrines of the church. Quite frankly, I'll just add my two cents here about this. One of the doctrines of the church that's often missing in teaching and preaching is the concept of coherence. Actually, one of the concerns of warp and woof, the vertical horizontal threads that make fabric, uh, Colossians 1.17, by him, by Jesus, are all these things held together. Right. So we actually have a creator who is personal and eternal, uh, who has made all things uh, to work and function properly together. Yeah. So let's take that uh, a step further. You mentioned classic uh, education just a moment ago. Uh, and we in classic education, we talk about the trivium method, grammar, right. logic, and then rhetoric. That right. is how do you speak it or how do you communicate yeah. or persuade somebody. So tell us a little bit about how – let's kind of segue now into – if you were going to teach math in your perfect school, mm -hmm. okay, your perfect school, how would you go about the process of teaching this? Yeah, I think it's go back to what I said, the trivium. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have grammar, you have uh, logic, you have expression. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically grammar teaches you the, the fundamentals, uh, which is good for small kids, memorization, mm -hmm. times table, and all that. Mm -hmm. And you got into logic. Uh, Logic, in terms of math, is going to be algebra. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when you get to expression, and that's where you get into geometry, you get into calculus. Mm. And, and, uh, uh, but that's how, that's what's, that is not how things are teaching nowadays. Now, even for the language, uh, right now it's just pretty much grammar. They don't even teach grammar anymore, mm. which is wor worse. Yes. There's no logic. Yes. They don't teach you logic. They don't teach you how to express yourself. Right. So basically it's memorization. Mm -hmm. You memorize the basically vocabulary, right? It's just memory words mm -hmm. and all that. And same thing happening to the math. It's just memorization. Mm. So never go beyond to logic, not even talk about expression. So now we actually have those kids, when they go through college, or go through uh, high school, they don't know how to express themselves. Hmm. All they can say is what they feel. Right. And even if they cannot express their feeling, right? That's why we say there's, they are using like, uh, uh, all those bad words. Yes. Uh, because it's couldn't find, they couldn't find the way to express what they feel. They're mm. just cursing it. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have now, which mm. is pretty pathetic. Mm. Yeah. So we've lost the... So we, we've got the grammar down in the sense that we, we know that there are concepts and, and uh, ideas that are essential 
building blocks. Mm-hmm. That's the grammar. Then we move into logic, helping young people to understand how does this thing work? Yeah. So how does this thing work? And then ultimately, how do we go about expressing ourselves? So we're really missing the last two of the trivium, it seems. Yeah. And now in the past, uh, I would say 20 years, uh, they are also taking away the grammar part of it. Mm. Like uh, I have uh, I tut- uh, uh, I, tu- I tutor a, a foster home kid. He's eighth grader. And he cannot do time. He cannot do multiplication beyond three. Mm. And uh, he said he never learned it mm. at, in school. And uh, I heard from somewhere like uh, IPS don't teach uh, times table anymore. Wow, I didn't even realize. Yeah, that. maybe it's not true. But uh, if anyone out there, you could, uh, uh, if you know, uh, appreciate feedback. But that's what I heard. But mm. at least from people I know, mm. the kids I know, they don't know how to do multiplication. They they just don't cannot do it right. in their head. They have no basis by which to right. have any kind of concept. So all they know is the push buttons. Yes, they know the, how to push buttons. So we're basically correct. We're, we are creating technocrats. We are creating people who are all about the technology, but have no sense of even how that technology came to be. Right, and and they don't even know really know how to use it. Mm-hmm. The the mindset now I find so prevalent in schools nowadays that the student wants you to tell them how to do it. Right. Yeah, just tell me what I need to know so I can right. pass the test. Right, exactly. And if you say, uh, go figure it out, <laughs> and they will freak out. Yeah, they will. They don't like it. Yeah. Uh, especially the high school student. 